Well, what a joy to partner with uh, the Smith family and the ministry overseas. And special thanks to God for the Czech team and faithful ministry of the gospel. Coming back with great report and to hear that the gospel is advancing all over the world. Special thanks to the children's ministry and their faithful service this past week. Um, all these neighborhood children came out to VBS. They're walking to church to hear God's word and to see so many of our members, you know, figuratively on their knees, washing feet. They were serving by organizing games and preparing meals and handing out drinks and playing playing with the children and and directly by teaching God's word and to see these young hearts so open to Christ's word uh, was a stirring for, for us all. And we're in the thick of everything. Uh, Mexico Missions is right around the corner with our collegians going out in uh, two weeks. And also OC Outreach. Um, and we're all involved in various ways to hold out the gospel, the light of the word, uh, to our community, to the people around us. Let me continue to... Uh, uh, be engaged full court press uh, this summer and uh, hold out the gospel that men might be saved. And can't wait till our, our summer retreat when we gather together and we'll rejoice together. We'll hear all the reports. We'll hear all the stories of what God did through, through us and in our midst. And can't wait to celebrate together uh, during our retreat. As Pastor Marcus said, we just came back from our mid-year assessment retreat. The elders, pastors, and deacons uh, spent uh, one night and two days and I think like 18 meals together uh, in a span of 24 hours. So I gained about 11.5 pounds. The average was 10, I think, um, at a real tremendous time in word, fellowship, prayer. And uh, we, we put the logistics, the administration of the ministry in the back burner. We put in the front, the front side really the word of God and had the word of God minister to us. And we spent the bulk of our time shepherding one another. We had um, a questionnaire, 25 questions given to each of our wives. Um, you know, how is, is James above reproach at home? What is James's greatest weakness? Uh, what's James's um, failures? Um, does he struggle with purity? Does he struggle with discipline? Uh, how has he, in terms of pursuing you and loving you and loving the children, these uh, x-ray questions, if you will, and we came together, humbled ourselves, and we presented what our wives said to one another, and we had a Q&A time, uh, and uh, we probed each other's hearts, and we all wept together. <laughs> we all um, prayed together, and that was just a sweet time, fellowship around the Word. And then we spent the last, maybe a couple hours, planning for the rest of the year in the future. So please be in prayer for us, we are definitely uh, above, over our heads. We're overwhelmed. We're, who is adequate for such things? We sense a tremendous, um, a pr- tremendous privilege, but tremendous weight and burden and uh, inadequacy on our part. So we ask for your faithful prayers on our behalf. To that end, uh, we apologize for this. Take a break from Second Timothy. Do a study of John 8, 31 and through 36. John chapter 8, 31 through 36. To begin our time, i share with you, go back, uh, what is it now, 18, no, 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 20 years ago, 
My first job was working at Unical 76 gas station right here on Lakewood and 91 Freeway. After my sophomore year in high school, I got this job for the summer. I think I made $3.55 an hour. That was minimum wage back then, $3.55. I was very, uh, I remember uh, it was full service and self-service, and I remember uh, doing full service, got this lady, and I washed her windshield, checked her engine oil, gave air in her tires, and for a tip, she gave me a dime. I was like appalled. <laughs> Throw it back at her. What? <laughs> like, you know, just don't give me anything. Just a, a thank you is better than a dime. Anyway, it was, you know, I learned a lot. It was, I, I met people who never put gas in their car, or they, they've never put gas in their car. They didn't know how to do it. They were like ladies in their 40s, and they were asking for help because they didn't know how or what to do. And I was just, I just couldn't believe it. I, I met people who didn't know you needed to change your engine oil. Like, they didn't know that a car needed oil. I mean, all sorts of people in my um, a few months. I actually worked for several years there during my school year as well. Well, one day I was working there, and this guy came, and he said, you know, I'm 10th grade. I'm, I'm a young kid. And he said, you know what? I just closed my uh, watch store. I have all these watches that I want to sell, and they're $10 each. And he showed me these watches. They're, he said, Omega watches. I'm like, wow, I don't know, you know, I don't know watches, but I heard of Omega somewhere. A name brand, right? Just under, like, I don't know, Seiko or something, I guess, right? <laughs> Rolex and the Seiko and Omega, right? And so I'm like, wow, that's a great deal. I'll take two, right? So $10, 20 bucks, bought for myself, bought for my grandpa, right? I gave it to him as a gift. I was so happy. <laughs> Literally, less than a week later, it started turning green. This gold watch started turning green. I'm like, what's going on? Look carefully. And I read it, and it's not Omega, it's Omega. <laughs> it's not a G, but it's a C. And that's why it's turning green. And it's not, it was a counterfeit, it wasn't real. And at 16 years old, I learned a lesson of like not trusting people and <laughs> not buying things off the street. And if the too good to be true, then what is it? It's too good to be true. It's not, it's not true. So we understand as we live our lives, especially if we go overseas and we buy like Gucci purses for $10. You know, we know, hey, we got to double check this thing because I doubt, you know, Gucci purses for 10 bucks or I don't know, Nikes for two for nine ninety nine. you know. Uh, counterfeit um, clothes and shoes and jewelry, whatever, are, are replete all over the world, even in the States. Well, this is a parallel in the church and pertinent to our study this morning because there is a, such a thing as counterfeit Christians. There are true Christians and there are false Christians. Right? And it gets worse. Most false Christians do not themselves know that they are false Christians. Most Christians are unintentionally false Christians. They deceive others and yet Sin is so deceptive, so powerful, so blinding. They themselves are deceived to the fact that they are not true Christians. That's a spine-chilling truth. It's a shocking, unnerving truth in the Scriptures. That we can be so deceived that we think we are Christians, 
But the reality can be the complete opposite. We can be deceived. We are not believers. Um, Matthew 7.21, I go back to that again and again and again because I remember reading that passage when I believed that anyone who just simply says that they're Christians are saved. I remember going on Kelsey Long Beach, went out witnessing him and met the president of the Korean Students Association. And he was telling me how he's living in sin. He's going to clubs and partying and sleeping with his girlfriend. And I asked him, well, what do you think about Christ? He said, well, he, when, he was a, when he was a child, he went to church and he, he made a profession of faith. I remember telling him, you're a Christian. Don't worry about it. Uh, you're saved. Uh, any doubts you have, it's Satan trying to discourage you. Don't worry, you're a Christian, you know, everything's fine. I used to go around telling that because that's what I sincerely believe. It wasn't until years later someone showed to me, Hey James, what about Matthew 7.21? What about Lordship salvation? What about fruit that reveals the root? It was after years of going around and sharing an incomplete gospel that I came to realization that I was wrong about a core aspect of Christianity. And I had to look again at Matthew 7.21 where they said, Lord, Lord, do we not cast out demons, do all kinds of good works and miracles for you? And Christ said, never have I known you. Away from me, you workers of iniquity. I believe that these people were genuine. They were sincere. They were sincerely wrong. They were genuinely deceived. Their hearts were good, but at a, to the wrong direction. They weren't intentional in their deception. Their hearts were truly so corrupt, eyes so blind, their ears so deaf, the minds so darkened by sin that they didn't know they were wrong, that they were false Christians. They went to Christ expecting all the, the benefits of God's kingdom. Instead, they received all the penalty of, of condemnation in hell. I remember, and that's true, true to us, and the spine chilling truth. I, that's why as often as I can, I, I go to this truth again and again and again. Because if you're not a Christian, nothing else matters. Right? This is as raw as it gets. This is as foundational as it gets. Whether you're a Christian or not makes, the, makes all the difference. If you're not a Christian, who cares about spiritual gifts? Who cares about election, role of men and women? Who cares about the economy and your job and your home and the mortgage and finances? Who cares about intergenerational Christianity and ministry here and all over the world? All of those things are meaningless if you're not a Christian. This is the first and last thing that matters to all of us. And this is the most practical thing that matters. Because our eternity hangs in the balance. It's not a momentary condemnation, a momentary punishment or penalty. It's eternity. So we need to make sure this ground is covered. This base is covered thoroughly and completely because it makes all the difference in the world. And that's why the Bible again and again and again presses this point. You know, I'm not having a soapbox. Our church is not standing on a soapbox focusing on genuine Christians, the Lordship Salvation. We're like, we're not picking out like really just a few verses in the Bible, amazing in the minors. This is the major theme of the whole scriptures. From the old and new, you have to do some 
radical hermeneutical gymnastics to avoid this issue while studying and reading the Bible. If you are honest in, in studying the scriptures, you will find it again and again emphasized throughout the scriptures. In Matthew 7, John 2, many came and believed in him, but he did not believe them. Second right. Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, unless of course you fail the test. First John 1 through 4 is all these tests. If you love the world, love of the Father is not in you. If anyone says he's a child of light, yet walk in darkness, he is a liar, he is deceived, the truth is not in him. I can go on and on and on about all these verses and the whole of the scripture that talk about this issue. And that is why we so emphasize in our church. And that is why one of the reasons I emphasize it in my ministry because this is one of my central responsibilities as a pastor. Right? I, I have many things on my plate in terms of things that I need to do as a pastor. But one of the things that's on top of the list is to help people understand their stand before a holy God. Right? It's my job to help people discern, understand whether they're Christians or not Christians. Because that makes all the difference in the world. If you're not a Christian, my job is to make you miserable. Right? That's my job. I want to make you as miserable as possible in this world so that you will turn to Christ. If you are a Christian, my job is to make you happy as you can. Right? Make you fill with joy as you can so that you see the benefits of following Christ. But to do that end, I need to help you Know the Bible and know yourself. See God's Word and see God's Word as a mirror and see yourself so that you might know where you stand before a holy God. But it's a difficult job. Some of you might think, wow, being a pastor is so easy. Man, that's like the easiest life. What a privileged life, you know. In a way, it is so, it's, it's a privilege, it's a blessed life. But it's not easy, and just this is what, one of the reasons why it's not easy. It's, it's difficult to preach to people who think that they are righteous. Right? It's hard to preach to people who are proud, who believe in religion, who are confident in their relationship with God, who are confident that they're blessed. In our country, 76% of people in our country believe that they are Christians. 76%. So, to present this truth to people who view themselves as so righteous is a very difficult job. That is why I outsource this to the Bible. It's not... I don't have the power or it's not my really, I don't have the, the, the power to, to convict anyone, to, to challenge anyone or change anyone. It's, that's God's responsibility through his word. I am mere messenger. That is why I point you to the gospel of John, chapter 8, 31 through 36. Gospel of John, chapter 8, 31 through 36. Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, 
The words of Christ here in verse 31 is addressed to those who believe, who profess faith in Christ. Outwardly, they profess faith. They intellectually believed in the claims of Christ. They agreed with His words and statements. They comprehended and assented to His teachings. And yet, their commitment was merely intellectual. They were not prepared, nor they were willing to follow Christ. The intentions of their heart was not to obey, was not to submit, was not to cast themselves down and plead for mercy and to carry the cross every day to follow Christ. They wanted to separate following, believing in Christ and their lives. They wanted separate category. They wanted to live their lives on their own terms and just give a mental ascension to the claims of Christ. This is a most dangerous state. The most dangerous state. For someone to recognize that Jesus is the truth and yet does nothing about it means that in effect he has aligned himself secretly, covertly, with the enemy, it means that he or she is making his or her own heart callous to the truth. That the same heat that melts butter hard as clay, because of their outward religion, is causing their hearts to harden because they are being deceived by their outward conformity to religion. So everything that they do becomes a source of deception. That's the Pharisees, right? Every time they gave a tenth of their income, they were being deceived by that. Every time they prayed in public about themselves, their prayer became a source of deception. I must be a good person because look how much I pray. Them going to the temple, going to sacrifice became a source of deception. All their religious deeds and works became used by sin in the flesh to lead them astray. That's why it's the most dangerous state. And so some, some are who are in the church have an indirect relationship with the church, have a carious relationship through other means, religious means. They're in the most dangerous state because by coming to church, by having some kind of understanding of the Bible and listening to sermons and going to retreats and being involved in ministry because they view it as works to to be saved becomes a source of deception rather than fruits of genuine faith. So to these people, Christ, understand He's being compassionate. He's being kind, gentle, tender, and loving. He's not being rude. He's not being abrasive. He's not being... uh, offensive. He's doing the most compassionate thing. Because God the Father is so willing that every man repent and be saved. Because God desires all men to be saved. He desires to wipe our sins clean and forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so for this reason He calls them out. And for this reason God is speaking to you this morning. He gives us the first mark of genuine faith. There are three traits, three characteristics of genuine believers that cannot be copied in the long run by false, false Christians, by non-believers. Three marks that cannot be counterfeited. The first is 
They abide in Christ's words. They abide in Christ's words. Second is they know the truth. Third, third truth, and it's the, it's the it's a beautiful one. They're set free. It's freedom. There is this, this liberty, this spiritual freedom from sin, from law, from religion, from condemnation. They know this freedom, they experience it, and they live it out in their lives. There is this great enlargement of their hearts where they run to God without hindrance. And it's seen in their lives, seen in their ministry, seen in their attitude, and that cannot be copied by those in false religion. So Christ, to these people, and, the, and God's word to you, one by one addresses these points. First is, if you abide in my words. Right? If you, NIV paraphrases it by saying, hold to my teachings. Commentator Beasley Morey declared that this word signifies a settled determination to live in the word of Christ and by the word of Christ. It entails a perpetual listening to it, reflection on it, holding fast to it, and a commitment to carry it out. So if you are intent continually to do whatever it takes to obey God's word, if you abide in it, you believe that is the, your greatest need in life. My greatest need is not some status, some position, you know, finances or relationships. My need in life is to take in the bread of God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that is what I hunger for, that is what I crave, and that is my essential need. And if you continue to do this, you are my disciples. Our Lord is saying, it is easy to superficially believe in Him. It is easy to Say, I believe in Jesus. It is easy to say the prayer. I mean, I say this as often as I can to, to help people understand that no one is saved by praying the sinner's prayer. I know those evangelists say this prayer and you'll be saved. No one is saved by some kind of magical incantation. You say those seven, eight words, you know, sequentially, and you say in Jesus' name and amen, and you are miraculously saved. You are saved by believing in Christ. And that prayer is one of the expressions of that faith. But in of itself, that prayer has no magical powers to somehow imbue us with righteousness, imbue us with salvation. In fact, that prayer has no power separate from faith. That's what Christ is saying. He's not calling us to a one-time decision. He's not calling us to some experience, some event, some profession, some outward act. He's calling us to an active, continual abiding in His words, in the words of Christ. And Christ saying, if you do this, if you abide for a prolonged period of time, then you are my disciples. You are my disciples. Verse 31, you are truly my disciples. So there are disciples who are false disciples and there are true disciples. Genuine. Genuine Christians. 
it is quite significant that Jesus does not say, you will be my disciples. It's not workspace. If you do this for nine months and two days, then you will be my disciples, right? Not some kind of like workspace, some kind of quota you have to meet, and then you can, you know, be called a Christian. No, you are my disciples, meaning this is the fruit of true Christianity, right? This is the fruit. He's not laying down a condition of discipleship, but he's telling them what the fruit is of true discipleship. So because all you want is Christ, you're not using Christ as a means to an end. I'll believe in Jesus because I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I don't don't care if it's Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or whoever. As long as I go to heaven, that's what I want. He doesn't want to be a, a tool that we use to gain entry into heaven. He is the end. We want Christ. We follow Christ. We believe in Christ. And one of the fruits is true salvation. How do we? The fruit is abiding in Christ. If you abide in Christ, you are my disciples. Second mark, he moves into the future, is that you will know the truth. You will know the truth. Think of that word truth. That word, that theme, is central to this passage, to this section of the Gospel of John in chapter 8. The word is stated nine times in verses 32 through 58. Verse 34, I tell you the truth. Everybody else is lying to you. All these guys with flowing robes and big hats, right, who seat themselves in Moses' seat. Nobody put them there. They have no true authority. It's authority they have given to themselves. They're lying to you. I tell you the truth. Verse 40, as you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Verse 44, you belong to to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him, verse 44. When he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. Verse 45, I tell you the truth, but you do not believe me. Verse 46, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling you the truth. Why don't you believe me? Verse 51, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Verse 58, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham, I am. I am the eternal one. I am with the great I am. We are essentially one. Then it culminates in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The truth is not just merely ideas or principles. Truth is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, and we see, and Pastor Dan preached on how Jesus healed these two blind men, that's truth. We saw truth. When he had compassion on these little people on the way to Jerusalem to his death, that's truth. Our God is a compassionate God. Our God shows no favoritism. Everyone, he is, 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 he has mercy on all people who cry out to Him. 
Right? That's truth. When we see Christ on the cross, that's the truth. His resurrection is the truth because He Himself is the truth. So if you are truly Christian disciples of Christ and you abide, therefore, abide in His words, you will know the truth. Know the truth. There are two Greek words for know, gnosko and oida. Oida is just objective knowledge. Right? Gnosko is relational knowledge. Right? So oida is, I know, you know, Kobe Bryant. I'm sorry, I can't think of anybody else. Right? I know right, Tiger Woods. Who do I know? I don't know anybody else. I know, you know, I know Warren Buffett, right? one of the richest guys, or Bill Gates. I don't know them. I don't gnosko know them because if I were to see them on the street, they'd be like, who are you? You know? You know, right? They wouldn't know me. There's no relationship. So the word here used is not oida. It's gnosko. It's relational knowledge. You shall know, have this relationship with the truth. Right? And so, reveals to us that the relationship that we have with Christ is via the truth of God's word. It's not this uh, cheesy kind of, you know, for, for, for ladies, God is my boyfriend kind of you know, relationship, or for guys, you know, Jesus is my big brother relationship, you know, we hold, his, hold hands, and, you know, like, we talk, and, you know, we sing together, and we play games, like, this kind of like, oh, we have a relationship with Jesus, because when we, when we ca- package it that way, it becomes so subjective, it becomes so arbitrary, right? it becomes mystical, it's just this relationship with Jesus, what do you mean? Yeah, I have this relationship with Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, I just, you know, he's in my heart. You know, I feel butterflies. And you know, I dreamt about him. And he talks to me. What did he say? Oh, he tells me all these things. And just so, like, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's just chaotic. It's subjective. It's arbitrary. No, Christ is the truth. And we have a relationship with Christ through the truth of God's Word. Through our knowledge, relationship with the truth. So when we're spending time in the Word, we're having a relationship with Him. Apart from the Word of Christ, from the Bible, we do not have a relationship with Christ. We do not have this relationship apart from the truth of God's Word, of Christ. Relationship with Christ is through His words, by meditation, by deep study, by obedience. I think our Christianity today is uh, enslaved and taken captive to this mystical Christianity that looks down on study of God's word, that that looks down on anyone who takes God's word seriously. And his intent on deep meditation, deep study, and deep appropriation of God's word. And they see that as religion, legalism, Pharisaism, bibliolatry, or worshiping the Bible. You guys have the Bible. I'll have this relationship with Jesus. I would vigorously contend that you, those sincere, are in error. To strive to have a relationship with Christ apart from His Word, apart from His truth. The Holy Spirit inspired the Holy Scriptures. So the Holy Spirit mediates our relationship with Christ through the Scriptures, 
through God's word, because of the fall of man, corruption of sin, the noetic effects of sin, we are contaminated by sin. There is no truth inside of us. There is no way to have a relationship with Christ because of our sin. The only way is through truth. In heaven, yes, it's different. In God's kingdom, it's different. But until our bodies are glorified, the only way is to the truth. And that's the distinctive mark of true disciples, true Christians, true disciples of Christ. They have a living, vibrant relationship with Christ through His Word and a growing, vibrant appetite for His Word. Right? They have an appetite for truth. Why? Because they love Christ. And they want a greater relationship with Him. And they know that it's contingent upon God's Word. So they hunger for the Word of God. And you can't counterfeit that. Right? You go to a restaurant, you don't like this meal. You can't fake it for like 10 years. Right? You got to tell your wife, you know, actually I hate this food. I'm actually, I, I don't like cilantro. Man, you know, broccoli and beef doesn't mix with me. Right? Truth will come out. In the first day or first month or first year, it'll come out if you have no taste for this food. Right? You can like, you know, fake it for a few days. Right? Like us with the Word of God. Right? You can't counterfeit true thirst and hunger for God's Word. Right? Especially a cornerstone. You'd be like, man, is he going to end that sermon already? And there's another study after first hour? And how many sermons at the retreat? And like, what's what? You have to get to there and study the Bible some more, right? How can these people handle it? Like, man, I'm going like, I'm going bonkers here. I'm losing it. Like, how can these people sit and listen to God's word for so long and want another one? It's because it's not me, or it's not our preachers or pastors, it's not our church, but because as Christians we love Christ, right? It's simply that we're Christians. If you're a Christian, you love Christ, and you know. Our relationship with Christ is through His Word. And when we tasted the, the sweetness of God's Word, we're, no, one's, no one forces us. Like, we don't, no one forces me to eat Chinese food. Right? No one forces me to Thai food right now. Man, I'm just going crazy. Right? <laughs> kind of am. Man. Right? Same thing with God's Word. Right? If, you, if your heart is, is, is changed, transformed, and saved, holy affections, Appetite that's growing for the Word of God. And then the third mark of true faith, true Christianity is, and this truth will set you free. This truth is, will set you free. William Hendrickson, not someone given, you know, prone to giving hyperbolic statements, said this. This is one of the most remarkable sayings uttered by our Lord. He's a sober, godly, older man, you know, God, man of God, pastor, not given to like you know exaggeration. He said this is the most, one of the most remarkable sayings uttered by Christ. It is awe-inspiring. It is precious. That true Christians will experience freedom, will be set free. Right. That's what Christ said in his inaugural sermon of his ministry. He went to the synagogue, opened the scroll to Isaiah 61, and you read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has come to set the captives free. Wait, well, I live in America. Where I landed the free. I'm not, I'm not a slave. I'm not a prisoner. I, I, I'm already free. What are you talking about setting me free? He's not talking about physical bondage. He's talking about spiritual bondage that holds all men captive. And the slave master is sin. Is sin. Verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Is a slave to sin. Everyone. That means all men are slaves. And all men have one master, and that's sin. And sin is evil, wicked, cruel, heartless. Has no compassion for us. Has bound us, ensnared all men. It has a universal power. Jews and Gentiles. Jews and every ethnicity. Men and women. Rich and poor, educated and uneducated, old and young, no one is uh, free from its power. Sin enslaves every participant. Everyone who commits and has committed a sin is a slave to sin. No one is immune from the corrupting and blinding and binding power of sin. It has a particular strength. Once you taste of it, you are enslaved. It's a cruel master. Hardest of all masters. Or misery. Misery is only the only fruit of obeying this master. And it's an internal master. There's no physical chains. It's spiritual chains. There's no prison walls or bars. There's no external branding markings of a slave. We're prisoners within. I mean, there are so many illustrations of this. I just look at your own life and consider how prone you are to addiction. That all of us fight addiction. Right? We all look nice this morning. Right? We look like people who are just so godly, and but yet we know ourselves, our hearts, and we're so prone to be addicted to. Pornography, drugs, alcohol, television, people, food, applause or rejection, esteem of others, success, fear of failure. All of us are so prone and we feel its power. Sometimes that's why people call it a disease because it feels physical, this addiction. That's how strong it is. So we see it in our own, own lives, gambling, addiction to money, spending money, shopping, right? We see it in people in our family, our relatives, we see it in our friends and we see it in the world. read this um, interview, Diane Sawyer with uh, Whitney Houston. 
Now, I think almost everyone loves singing. God created us to sing. And we, I think most of us are closet shower singers, right? And only our, like, you know, significant spouse or, you know, husband and wife know, you know, what we sound like, you know, right? And so we, we love singing. And we hear someone sing, like, man, like, it feels so good that I just sing like that. And then we hear, we've heard Whitney Houston sing, like her, when she sang the national anthem many years ago. Like, angelic voice. I mean, so gifted. And yet, what happened to her? Just wasting her life away. Diane Sarah interviewed her and said, asked her, do you think of yourself as an addict? She replied, I don't think, I don't like to think of myself addicted. I like to think of, I have a bad habit. Is it alcohol? Is it marijuana? Is it cocaine? Is it pills? She responds, it has been at times. Diane Sawyer, all of these? And she said, yes, at times. Diane Sawyer asked her, if you had to name the devil for you, what is the biggest devil among all these drugs, alcohol? Winnie Houston replied, and so honest, that would be me. It's my deciding. It's my heart. It's what I want and what I don't want. Nobody makes me do anything. It's my decision. So the biggest devil is me. And that's how I have to deal with it. This is uh, what the Bible says. Paul said this in Romans 7. I do not understand my own actions. I don't understand. What I do not want, I do. What I want to do, I don't do. And that is sin living within me. Martin Luther said, Man does not do evil against his will, under pressure, as though he were taken by the scruff of the neck and dragged into it like a thief, being dragged off against his will to punishment. No, he does it voluntarily, spontaneously. And this willingness or volition is something which he cannot in his own strength eliminate, restrain, or change. So, this enslavement has infected all mankind and no one can overcome it except for those who are true Christians. Spiritually, later on, verse 34, you are free indeed, meaning in heaven, complete freedom. But once you follow Christ, increasing experience of freedom It's not complete freedom. Even Paul, Romans 7, he's talking as a Christian. Even as Christians, we fight our flesh. We fight this enslavement that is still in our flesh, raging guerrilla warfare against our new nature that is in Christ. Yet at the same time, at the point of salvation, the Christian experiences growth, growing liberty, growing freedom, to turn away from sin and turn towards Christ. Growing freedom, to be content, to be at peace, to love the Lord, and to hate sin, and to shun it. This is a true experience for all Christians. 
experienced in growing measure over the course of one life, of one's life. I mean, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, my my sin was smoking two packs a day, and uh, you know that was my I, I could give up you know alcohol easy. I could give up my other drugs easy, but smoking. That was my self-identity. Huh, crazy to think of me that, myself in that way, but that's my identity. I was like, that was who James Shin was, right? I know, it's stupid, right? <laughs> but, like, man, like, that was my, like, that was my, one of my, my joys, my pursuits in life <laughs> was. And to give that up, I was addicted to it. It was so hard. I tried to quit so many times, right? I remember, like, saying, this is my last cigarette and putting it out on my arm, right? And I threw it out. That's my last cigarette, and, I, and a few hours later, I start up again. And then a month later, another mark. <laughs> right? It's like this dumb, you know, dumb young young guy. I couldn't quit. I was enslaved to this small little like, cigarette. And for me, I couldn't. I knew I couldn't follow Christ with a cigarette in my hand. God, if you can set me free from this addiction, I can do anything. By God's grace, I read the book of Job. Check a lot of water, and God set me free by the grace of God. I look back at that now and go, man, I'm so dumb. Come on, James. Let's just quit. You know, what's the big deal? Right? But at that as young, young Christian, that was my elephant in the room. And then years later, it was my anger. I, I was just an angry Christian pastor. Right? <laughs> Full of rage. It came out a few weeks ago against men on the basketball court. Still comes out when people push the right buttons, it comes out. But man, and like, God, you gotta set me free. Right? By God's grace. Right? Experiencing freedom. There are still sins in my life where, oh man, it's still like, I feel its hooks in, within me. But by God's grace. Right? I fail often, I fail a lot, but I experience greater freedom. Well, that's the experience of true Christians that cannot be counterfeited, that cannot be copied, that cannot be imitated. It's, it's real. That's what Christ promised. If you know the truth, you'll be set free. You shall be set free. Right? You'll be indeed free. Right? Verse 36 so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In closing, just four points. First of all, your response to Christ's words here reveals a lot about your spiritual state. Right? How your heart is responding now, it's revealing about your true position before God. Look at verse 37. Some heard these words and said, You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Some of these Jewish people heard Christ's words and they hated Christ. How dare you say I'm a slave? How dare you talk to me about freedom? I am so offended. Where do you get off talking to me about relationship with God, about truth? In their hearts, they want to kill Christ. Right now, you want to kill Christ's words. You don't want to hear it. 
right, you want to tear this page apart, page up. You want to just cut it out. You want to black it out, saying this is not true. Your heart rages against it. Verse 43, you do not understand what I say. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what is, what is Johnny talking about? I, have, I am just confused. I can't understand. Man, he, Pastor James is just speaking another language. I don't understand what he's saying. Verse Christ says, because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't stand it. You're so filled with just your indignation, your rebellion, that your recourse is just to block it out and go into a state of utter confusion. That is you. Exercise as much misery as you can and place it upon your own soul. You might not feel miserable, Cry out to God and exercise, work up as much misery and place it on your own head. Because that is the reality of your state for holy God. That you are offending and rebelling against Christ and His truth. And if you continue in that state, there will be one day where it will be too late. It will be Matthew 7 where you will go to Christ and he'll say, I never knew you. Work up misery. Work up remorse. Work up regret. Work up rebellion against your own sins, your own soul, and place it on your own head. Secondly, for Christians, understand your propensity towards addictions that is still in your flesh because of sin that is still in your flesh. That addicts are not just those people who are in drug rehab centers or alcoholics anonymous. And we are, you know, we're, we're living in a higher state where we can't, we don't experience those addictions. Understand that addiction is very real. That we have a propensity towards addiction. And that list is substantial. The things that we can get addicted to. Right. I mean, alcohol, anger, love, sleep, nicotine, TV, video games, exercising, gambling, illegal drugs, prescription drugs, sports, people, work, caffeine, sex, shoplifting, chocolate, risk, success and winning, pornography. The list grows on and on and things that we can get addicted to. So knowing yourself, knowing your own flesh, you know God's word, know yourself, and know, you know what, for me, you know, my temptation for addiction is not um, exercising, or it's not chocolate, but for me, pornography is a, can be a snare to me. Or you know what, for me, success, or for me, prescription drugs, or for me, it's people. Knowing that, flee from temptation. Run from temptation. That's how Christ sets us free. 
He doesn't set us free by us exposing ourselves to all these temptations and we wait for Christ to set us free. No, He sets us free by giving us the wisdom to see these temptations and to run from them, to escape to God, to God's people, to God's word, away from these temptations. The last thing we should be doing is be so casual to expose ourselves to all these temptations and the growing temptations that are being produced by this world. We've got to understand that an alcoholic one day began with one drink. A gambler who destroyed his life and his family, his children's future began with one day playing cards. Right? Someone who committed adultery began with one glimpse at pornography. Understand that Sin has only one desire, to grow bigger. Right? Sin only wants to increase. Sin only wants to ensnare and destroy. Knowing the ensnaring power of sin, we must not be so casual to expose ourselves to these things. And knowing our temptations, run from them. Third leaks. Practice the means of grace given to us to keep us from temptation and set us free from this bondage. Use the church. Use body life. Use fellow Christians. There is such great freedom in confessing your sins. Right? Yes. It liberates us. Sin wants us to be ashamed and hide it and live alone and and, and, and it corrupts us all the more because we don't have the power of Christian fellowship. Confess your sins right, to your spouse, right, to the members in your small group, people you're ministering together, the people in the church, to your small group leaders, pastors, your elders, your flock shepherds. Confess your sin. Because I promise you confess there's grace. We'll pour out grace to you. Right. That's our covenant as leaders. People confess our sins. Our response must be pouring out grace and mercy and forgiveness and say, Brother, I know because I have that plank in my own eye. Right. I am the greatest sinner. Let me, let me share with you. Right. You will not face judgment. You will not experience condemnation. You will not face rejection. You experience right? just that koinonia, that, that, that you'll, you'll experience going to Calvary together with a fellow believer and experiencing forgiveness together. you experience freedom, a lightheartedness, burden being lifted. Right? Your heart will be lifted. There will be joy. There will be just the beauty of Christ to be clear. Your vision will be set. You, you'll experience a change becoming weaker and greater freedom to run the race of Christ. Right? And then finally understand and apply the gospel. One look at sin, ten looks at the cross. It's not by our works we're saved, but it's by grace we are saved. All we did was believe. Same thing with sanctification. Same thing with freedom. We're not set free by works. We're set free by believing in Christ. And by God's grace and God's power will be set free. Let's pray. Father, we 
praise you and give you thanks for John 8, 31 through 36. We thank you, O God, and we pray that you would open our eyes and there are any here who are still outside the camp, outside the fold of believers. And Lord, they are deceived by their sin. O God, would you have mercy? Would you have grace? Cause them to pour misery upon their own heads. And because of their humility, they would see themselves rightly and turn and cry out to you and you would save them. Lord, you would rescue them. You would open their eyes to see you and see themselves. And God, you'd be glorified by their, by them being redeemed from the, and, and ransomed and set free from their cruel slave master of sin. God, would you do this all to your glory. We pray for the believers that we're experiencing in greater measure knowledge of truth, abiding in Christ's words, and being set free from sin, practically being set free. God, you would enlarge our hearts to run without hindrance in the path of your words. That we would truly, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, so we will live out that freedom boldly and passionately in how we confess our sins. How we boast of our sinfulness, our weakness, our inadequacies, our failings, so that all the more Christ will be shown as He is, the almighty, powerful God who rescues, who liberates captives. Lord, in greater measure, You would produce this in our lives. All to Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.